could preach on a few different things with these different readings today, but leprosy comes up twice here. In the middle reading, the glory of God comes up, and that was a kind of a compelling thing. But I'm going to go with this thing called the messianic secret. The me- Jesus is the Messiah. The messianic secret is where he keeps telling people not to tell anyone what he's done. So he cures the guy of leprosy, he cures a, a guy of deaf and muteness, or whatever it is, sort of thing. Or he casts out demons, and he keeps telling people, don't tell people who did this, or how, how your healing came about. Very hard for people to do that when a big event happens in people's lives. We naturally share that big event with the people in our lives. When I broke my leg this summer, everyone kept asking me, how did you break your leg? Imagine if I said, I ain't telling. Be like, what? What do you mean you're not telling? So this guy has leprosy, and then he's just suddenly cured and healed, and he's walking around, and people are going to say, what happened? This is, we've never seen this before. And then he's supposed to say, well, actually, somebody cured me, but I'm not supposed to tell you. What? What? Sort of thing. But the messianic secret. Jesus has good reasons for saying, don't share this information with people at this time. All right. Keeping confidences. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. That man with leprosy, it would be hard for him not to tell somebody how he was cured. When I broke my leg, everyone wanted to just know. They didn't want to know, like, how bad was it or how long will this take. They all just want to know, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? It's hard to not share that kind of information, something that's really big in our life. So, for various reasons, we share confidence sometimes. It can be, and here's sort of this unofficial Father Nathan just thinking it through, why we do that. One, and the biggest one is, it's hard to hold a secret. It's hard to hold the secret. Just share a secret with a child and say, don't tell anyone. The child's like, you know, they just can't wait to share it with somebody, sort of thing. It's hard because frequently the confidences that we've received are people's baggage, people's tough stuff that's happening in their life. And then they dump this stuff on us, and it's hard to carry. And we want to, in turn, share it with somebody else so that they can also help to share the load. So something bad is happening in the marriage or something, and you really shouldn't share this, but you do with a sibling or somebody that you kind of trust sort of thing. Why? Because just carrying it by yourself is really hard to do. But sometimes it can be really destructive to share confidences. There's titillation. I remember when I was in seventh grade, uh, all kinds of secrets going around. Uh, It's amazing, seventh grade. And and I'll spare you because there's children present. uh, What kind of secrets would be shared, uh, violated confidences left and right, was just the norm of the day. Uh, The other is, too, and we live in our world in which the news media is constantly trying to un to discover every secret. Even if it found a secret that would destroy America if our enemies knew about it, be absolutely certain that somebody in the news media would share it. Absolutely, absolutely. And confidences and secrets that would destroy a politician or whatever, absolutely no problem there. As wickedly sinful as it might be, I mean, again, we're using God's judgment here, not our own. 
So there are people who are on fishing expeditions who want to know our secrets. Hey, well, what happened? What, uh, you know, sort of fishing for, why do you think such and such, and they're kind of doing this? For a number of different reasons, it can be very hard to keep confidences and to maintain secrets. But we frequently need to do that. We need to do that. Why do we need to do that? Well, probably in the first case, it's because there is obviously betrayal. Betrayal is this, uh, this uh, breaking of trust in another. Even if they never knew it, God knows it. Now, we'll get to God in a moment here. But this betrayal, and this betrayal falls in within the Ten Commandments in two different areas. One is, thou shalt not lie. When the person gave us a confidence, and it was understood to be a confidence, and then we agreed to it and received it, and then we broke it, well, we've lied to that person in making them believe that we would hold their confidence. And then the other of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not kill. It falls under, thou shalt not kill. When we betray confidences, we stab another in the back. And we all know how betrayed confidences can really, truly hurt people and mess up lives. All right, so ways in which this kind of thing happens. Reasons why we need to keep confidences. Well, there's for good relationships, all right, just to maintain good, healthy relationships, there have to be confidences. So there are things that spouses know about one another that they're not at liberty to share, not even with their closest friend kind of thing, and they shouldn't share that sort of thing. There are other things that you might know about your child or whatnot, but it wouldn't be appropriate to share it with another, even though you've got, again, this baggage and this burden and you want to offload it, and you would da-da-da-da, but out of honor and respect for this loved one, you know that you shouldn't. And so there's good relationships. All right. There's also that relationship with God. But there's also, too, achieving a good goal, and the good goal is undermined by betraying confidences, the messianic secret. <clears throat> Jesus has reasons why he doesn't want his identity to be revealed now. It will be revealed at the right time, but not right now. He's got three years of public ministry, and it's not until the end that he finally reveals who he is. He finally acknowledges who he is. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. He tells the high priest, I am the Son of Man that Daniel prophesied. I am the Messiah. I am God. They tear their vestments and says, He makes himself out to be God. And for that reason, they condemn him to death. But it was his time. If it's known too soon that this is the Messiah, then one of two things is going to happen, probably both. One is people are going to make him their king. Remember when he fed the 5,000? Then the crowds realized what had happened, and they pressed in to physically seize Jesus and to physically make him their king. He gets in a boat and he sails away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to get away from these crowds. Now is not the time. And he's not the kind of king that they want him to be. He's not going to be the earthly ruler. He is the creation of, creator of earth and the heavens. Way too big to be merely an earthly ruler. No, he's come to become the king of your heart. And that's where he intends to reign. 
not on a throne where you just continue to go about being the sinful, selfish person that you and the devil want to be, but something completely transformed and changed. The other is, too, if the Romans find out that there's somebody in one of their jurisdictions claiming to be a king, that person will be put to death. So, this is what happens. Now is not the time. It's important for this man who's been cured with leprosy to not share who this guy is, because if this word gets out, if too many gets out, and they make the connect the dots, he's the Messiah, then Jesus' whole plan, it gets undermined. This is why the demons that Jesus casts out, which he does on a regular basis. Last Sunday in the Gospel, we heard him casting out a demon. This is why the demons are always trying to identify him. He casts out the demons, and the demon will say, I know who you are, and Jesus will say, silence. The demons aren't saying, I know who you are, it's out of respect and, and uh, you know, benevolence. You are the Messiah. No, the demons want to share it to undermine what he's trying to do. The demons hate him. They want to destroy his mission. So the demons are going to betray confidences. That's why Jesus keeps silencing them. Silence. All right. We know from our own experience that there's something that we want to achieve in our life that we have this idea in our mind of what it is that we want to achieve, etc. <clears throat> and then we've got sort of A, B, C before we get to D, which is what we want to do, sort of thing. But A, B, and C have to happen first, and they even need to happen in the following order in order for D to happen. And so if somebody knows about D and you haven't even done A, then the people who are invested in the status quo are going to immediately cross their arms and fight you, and it's not going to happen. This is certainly true within any sort of leadership. If there's something in the parish I want to get us from here to there, then I know in my mind that, well, there has to be a process to get there. I can't just blurt it out. Then the people, there will be definitely some people who, in whatever the issue is, who will be um, uh, ensconced or have some kind of, I forget the word I'm looking for, but some kind of value in maintaining the status quo, and they don't want to leave the status quo for this new, better thing that they would have to give up the status quo to achieve. So then they would immediately set out to try to stop it. And this is true if you're uh, governing in governance or in the government or in a school, leadership in a school or leadership in any company, etc. You just have to know what your goal is and the steps that you're going to get there and you release information when it's appropriate as you're achieving this goal. And the same thing happens within our relationships, too. Marriage is here, and I want my marriage to be here. In order to get my spouse to move from here to here, I know that if I just tell them, this is where I want us to be, the spouse will cross their arms and say, no, we're never going to get there. But if I have a plan and it's A, B, C before we get there, I think that my spouse, I could move my spouse to A. And then after some time in A, then I could move my spouse to B. And after some time in B, then to C, and then finally on to where I want this marriage to be. But if a confidence is betrayed, then I never get to A, B, and I never get to D, I never get to the outcome. And we're stuck in this bad place. Ditto for helping a child move from here 
to there for any kind of thing. So we can see, and we all know from private experience, how damaging betraying confidences can be. And I speak that from my own personal experience throughout my life of betraying confidences, not confessions. But that brings up confessions. I hear 2,000 confessions a year. This is year 17 of being a priest. This June will be my 17th anniversary. So let's say I've heard 20,000 confessions, conservatively speaking. Every one of them I've got to take to my grave. And I can't obviously hold on to 20,000 different confessions. Fortunately, they just kind of go away like, like the wind sort of thing. Or I just flush them as fast as I can, just get them out of my head. I can't, even if it's one of those, it's like, oh, I did not want to hear that kind of thing. Because again, it's somebody else's burden being put on me. So, and just so you've got some insight into priests, uh, hearing confessions is exhausting. It's, it's not like you're watching TV. It's exhausting to hear problem after problem after problem and then figuring out what your counsel or your penance might be that would be right for that person. And you've got to just kind of use your best guest intuition as to what's right for that person in that situation. It's really, truly exhausting. St. John Vianney, after the confessional, would sometimes have to be physically helped from the confessional back to the rectory. He would just be so worn out. There is no secret that will not be revealed in the next life. And that includes if we've betrayed confidences. That will be revealed in the next life. At our death and judgment, we will see all the times in which we've betrayed confidences. So before you get to that place, be sure to confess any betrayed confidence that you've ever been a part of. The other is, too, that God sees and knows all now. It doesn't matter that nobody else knows. God knows. God knows. He sees and knows all now. And he sees and knows, too, when we're holding confidences and we need to. And he's very proud of us. And his grace is upon those who will. If we find ourselves in a difficult situation where we're tempted in that moment to betray a confidence, then pray to Jesus and ask him to help you to keep your mouth shut. Not to betray his his secret. If it's a confidence that you know that God does not want to share, then it's a confidence between you and God now. It's between you and God. And God will grant you the grace. God will also grant the grace of healing for those people and situations that have been betrayed by a betrayed confidence. And you can ask God to heal whatever damage that might have happened as a result of your own betraying of confidences in your life. That God can heal those, and, and He can. He can. But know this, that all secrets will be revealed at the end of time. But for now, God is giving us a responsibility to conceal many of them. To conceal many of them for some greater good. And it's hard to do, but like all things, all good things, with God's grace, are possible. 